for a grow light that won't let you down but will look stylish in your home then Soltec Solutions is your solution. Soltec Solutions fabulous customer service means you won't be left in the dark when it comes to buying great grow lights. Choose from their range of track lights, pendant style lights or a simple bulb that will screw into most standard light fittings for setup that takes just moments. Check out Soltech Solutions' range of lights now at soltechsolutions.com and get 15% off with the code ONTHELEDGE. That's soltechsolutions.com and enter code ONTHELEDGE for 15% off now. It's fresh, it's exciting, but is it worth buying? In On The Ledge this week, I'm joined by plant geek Memo C for a chat about some of the plants that seem to be catching both our attentions. What are they? What are they like to grow? And are they worth the price tag? I got a wee bit excited this week when I suddenly noticed, without having really clocked much attention before, that On The Ledge podcast has marked up three million, yes, that's three million downloads. Actually, I think it's a little bit more than that because I did switch hosts in the first few months of the podcast. So yes, it's kind of mind-blowing to think about episodes being downloaded more than three million times. But there you go. On The Ledger's been going for five years, more than 200 episodes. And I guess this proves that a niche podcast, I'm putting niche in inverted commas, can prove popular. Who knew? Thanks all of you for your support as ever, whether this is your first download or your 500th Yes, some people do listen to episodes more than once. Welcome to the show. And particular thanks to Marcella from Canada, who left a lovely review for On The Ledge, which after a couple of one-star stinkers of late, was very welcome. Oh, and I should say also, if you are posting on Instagram and you want to get my attention, whether I'm following you or not, do use the On The Ledge podcast hashtag. That's what the Bucks Hall Gardener did a few weeks ago. I forgot to mention it at the time, but they posted about false vivipary. Do you remember when we talked about that in episode 198 of the show? The condition where succulent and other flower heads start getting very confused and growing babies on them. I've put that in my stories today if you want to take a look at that. But yeah, that's how to get my attention if uh, you've got something to post that you'd like me to see. Jeff emailed about the episode we did on recycling stuff at episode 219 and had a good idea, which was taking those little plastic boxes that you get cupcakes and donuts in. I mean, who needs an excuse to buy donuts but anyway so you can take these little boxes and Jeff has a clever hack which is marbles in the bottom covered with water some plastic mesh and then he can sit his propagations in their pots on the top with a wick running through 
into the wet marbles as a wick watering system. Clever, Jeff. Very clever. So keep sending in your hacks like that. I love to hear them. And that's certainly one which will be a good excuse for me to go out and buy some cupcakes this weekend. If you've ever wondered whether a new plant introduction is worth your attention, join the club. So this week I thought I'd take six plants that might be popping up on your social media feeds and chat about them to fellow plant geek Memo. Hi, I'm Memo. I'm also uh, on most social medias. Mainly you can find me on Instagram at Trojan King 9 and on YouTube at House Planty Goodness. I first started when I was very young at the age of five doing chores, which was watering houseplants and everything basically spiraled out of control after that really <laughs> let's spill the tea i mean we're start, gonna start with the lovely plant geogenanthus ciliatus this one i wrote about in my newsletter the other week and did a bit of digging around on i was surprised that it's a member of the uh, spiderwort family Comlinaceae, because it doesn't really look like what i think that plant is going to look like but it's proving popular. Have you got a specimen of this one? This isn't one that I've got in my collection just yet. It is one that I have since ordered. So it will be getting added in. It was, there was, at least as far as I'm aware, in terms of kind of currently what was happening with this plant, is it got a, a moment in the limelight very recently on some YouTube channels, mainly classified as something else, which I cannot remember now off the top of my head, but it was to do with its appearance. And at that stage, I did a quick Google search to see if I could find it. It was sold out everywhere, but now it's coming back into circulation a bit more. So you can kind of find it a bit easier, basically, but very interesting plant nonetheless. I'll put a link to the Costa Farms video about it. They sort of, in inverted commas, rediscovered it in, I think it, I think it was in a nursery in Southeast Asia, which is funny given that it's from ecuador and peru um but that's how these things happen and then i think it won best new foliage at the uh, tpie which is the tropical plant international expo so obviously the hot new thing but you know the more i dug the more i realized that it's obviously not new in the sense that you know i found this piece from an american publication called the Indoor Light Gardening Society of America, which no longer exists, which in 1979 described it as a real showstopper. So obviously somebody was growing it back in the 70s and 80s. And, you know, I know that the the seersucker plant, which is another geogenantha species, you know, that's in the houseplant expert book that I've got from the 80s. It's obviously around. Um, lots of people saying, though, that it has a sort of a bit of a diva quality of just suddenly collapsing. <laughs> I've had a couple of listeners get in touch and tell me that. I guess it's one of those plants that likes, from Ecuador and Peru, I'm thinking, relatively high humidity. Yeah, no, 100%. Same thing when I was looking and doing my own research on this plant as well. It is one that, at least from what I could see, a lot of kind of the, the average houseplant owner tends to grow it in a terrarium because of that high humidity needs essentially the other thing as well that i found with similar plants to this because for some of the listeners who maybe don't know uh, what it might look like it's got very very dark foliage almost black foliage actually so it's a very very dark green with usually a purple stripe that goes down the midrib of the leaf and it is a plant that again based on the research that i've done on this is more ground dwelling so it 
probably would need a bit more um, of a soil mixture. It still needs to be an, an airy mixture because obviously it is a jungle plant. But because of that and because it's so understory and it doesn't grow particularly tall either, you would imagine that the humidity that it would get right down at the jungle floor would be quite high. And also on top of that, the lighting needs probably are going to be a bit lower. So usually with most plants that tend to have those qualities, they can die quite easily unless you get it right quite quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it's not one I'm going to be adding to my collection. I'm going to be frank with you because it just feels like it's another plant that is not going to suit my way of growing conditions, time boundaries, etc. I also am not particularly fond of leaves with really, really dark colours. The Zamiococcus raven being another example. I just find that they just kind of fade into the background a bit. Then They don't sort of pop for me. And so for me, it's not a plant that I'm leaping to own. But uh, yeah, I think those gl very highly glossy dark yeah. leaves are drawing a lot of people in that's for sure definitely definitely and i think based on what i can see as well with some of my community online as well there's there's definitely a very specific market that tends to go for the darker foliage plants and i i class myself slightly in that because i was in my misspent youth as a bit of a goth yeah, i tend to gravitate yeah. towards the darker plants and there's a there's a small community that are very similar they're just like oh black yes <laughs> <laughs> I also interestingly found some stuff out about um, medicinal, traditional medicinal uses for this plant, which is really interesting. And, you know, a variety of different uses. Some of the indigenous people in um, Ecuador and Peru, which, as always is the case, you know, various things depending on um, which particular people you're, you're working with. But, um, you know, it's joints, I think there are a lot of sort of references to joints, treatment for joints and also parasites. Um, don't try this at home, folks. This is not something I am endorsing, but it's interesting to see. And I think also there was, I think I also read something about uh, its use as a treatment for headaches. So it's obviously a plant that was known to the indigenous people of that area. It's quite interesting when you get that one plant that we don't see very often, at least here in the UK, I think it's a bit more popular in the US, is something called the pregnant onion. And when I added that to the collection, it's got very succulent leaves almost almost the same level as an aloe vera but from my research a lot of the indigenous tribes are using that for bites so the sap from the leaves they were using it for bites and i can confirm again do not try this at home but i tried it and it works wonders for mosquito bites oh okay interesting again yes health warning uh, do not take this podcast as offering <laughs> any health advice we do not claim any responsibility for your uh, your fate after you try out any of these things so i think that's it's an interesting one i mean costa farms are mm -hmm. probably churning this plant out uh in great numbers At numbers i would imagine but yeah i wonder how many of them are going to last particularly long i mean it kind of reminds me of the whole you know calathea thing people picking the calathea plant up in the you know, big box DIY store. Will there be many left that last more than a few months? I think probably not. Probably not. But again, you know, a beautiful plant. If you've got experience of of, of caring for um, tropical South American plants, you'll probably be fine with it. 
Definitely, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to my to my 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 <laughs> faithfuls, but um, I mean, I suppose the other thing is it's quite like if you are gonna find a terrarium for that it's not a small plant it's no it isn't no it's got like the leaves look about the size of a sort of a saucer small saucer size so you're gonna have to have a big terrarium to pull that off but uh i know lots of listeners have got huge terrariums so they'll be fine <laughs> huge terrariums and big cloches as well big glass yeah as yeah well. exactly yeah. i mean it would look really cool like that displayed under under a cloche or something that 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 could be awesome Still not going to try it. No, <laughs> right, same. let's move on. I mean, I've got mine coming, but yeah. <laughs> well, no, you. I mean, you know, like, I mean, I'm looking at pictures of your conservatory, and like, you've got loads of plants that I just wouldn't wouldn't be part of my collection because I ain't got the time. No, <laughs> I've got the energy. This... I haven't got the humidity. You know, all these factors coming in that have. The... Plus, also, like, you know, I'm sure you feel the same that there's certain plants that just do it for you and. Paps don't do it for me. I mean, I was doing an interview for the show about uh, syningias last night, and I was just looking at these pictures of these incredibly over-the-top syningia speciosa flowers, and just thinking, "Yeah, I'm going to get some of those." I'm sure lots of people would be like, "Jane, you're mad. They're horrible." But there you go. Um, yeah, <laughs> each their own. <laughs> exactly. Let's move on to um, Alocasia Jacqueline. Now, this one has got a bit of a mess surrounding it hasn't it the name jacqueline comes from a woman in uh, indonesia who found this plant and gave it that name and there is some controversy about how the plant was obtained whether it was taken from the wild and so on but i haven't seen any positive proof either way on that but there seems to be lots of references to to this plant actually being called deerhorn alocasia and you know being found in the mid 2000s but at that point not really taking off as a as much as it is now but it, you know again it's the old sore of there's nothing really new out there i guess alocasia jacqueline is definitely one of those plants that has had a lot of chatter online within communities uh in the last few months anyway because there's people kind of saying like what you were saying uh it's interesting because you mentioned it as a deer horn allocation i think i saw that people were saying that it was the allocasia portei probably mispronouncing that entirely but i don't know if it's the same and the the deer the deer horn one is the kind of more common name but um the the challenging thing with trying to definitely ensure that something is a different plant and isn't, for instance, in this case, the Alocasia portii, it would be to look at things like the inflorescences. And that's what scientists have been doing for a long time now. I know some scientists are starting to look at genetic testing for some plants to see if they are actually different or if they're the same plant. But the, the big consensus online yet is that it can't be proven yet that this is a different plant or even if it is the same plant because the inflorescence of an allocation jacqueline at least as far as i could see hasn't been seen yet and hasn't been compared it's one of those plants that is quite arresting i mean like like many allocasias it is has beautiful uh, pa- patterning on it it's got this elegant shape which is kind of a bit like a deer horn rather than a being a heart shape or anything it, it's it's quite a refined leaf and you've got this amazing reticulated leaf veins and and it's it's stunning and I can see why it's become very popular. Um, 
I guess, as you say, it'll take um, uh, DNA analysis and examination of the, the the inflorescence to really pin down what's going on here. I mean, I guess the good thing is now that it's been widely tissue cultured, nobody needs to take it from the wild anymore because exactly. it's it's now widely available. I've seen it in plant shops. You know, hopefully that means that, that, that it won't be taken from the wild anymore. Um, this is not the landscape that I'd imagine an alocasia growing in, but I read that it grows in dry, grassy savannah. Oh, wow. Can that be that... right? <laughs> That's really interesting. See, now you're making me think maybe I should see if I could get a tissue culture one and give it a try. I've been growing alocasias and colocasias since I was about five. They're very, very popular back home. Uh, I'm originally from Greece, but they tend to be like balcony plants there. And everything that I've known about them is that they tend to grow near rivers. So actually they do quite like the slightly wetter conditions, basically. So I'd be really interested to see if that's actually accurate. I'd be really interested to see if the growing conditions of this alocasia specifically would be different than most others, basically. Let's have a look at the the Skindapsas next, which again not a species I grow. I admire them from a distance. This new one, Moonlight. What do we know? So the Skindapsis trebui Moonlight has been around. And again, this is probably one that has been around for much longer than just now. Again, uh, I actually since listening to your podcast for years now, I'm one of the people that managed to get a hold of the houseplant expert. <laughs> and I do usually use it when I want to see if plants have been around for longer than just recently. This is one, obviously, that has been mentioned very briefly as, as skindapsis, not this specific one. But the Skindapsis trebui moonlight, for some of the listeners who might not know, is very similar in leaf shape to uh, most epipremnums, but it's a thicker leaf. And the specific moonlight one has got a silvery sheen to it. So a lot of people were really interested in getting it. It's been available. It's been a bit more mainstream. I hesitate to use the word mainstream a bit with this one for the last two to three years. Um, I was fortunate enough to get one. There was very little information on it because people haven't been growing it in a household condition for too long. I originally didn't want to pick up the moonlight. There is a Skindapsis trebui moonlight, I think, still, but dark form, which is more the black foliage again. I'm very glad that I didn't get that because talking to some people that have got it now, and I recently actually on my YouTube channel, I do a review series on what, to, what it's been like to have certain plants for one, two, three years, basically, because again, there wasn't a lot of information like this. And I wanted to provide a bit of a information portal for people, not just to see my experience, but from people that have got it in the comments on these YouTube videos to share their experiences. And overwhelming the thing about the moonlight is it is possibly one of the slowest growing plants out there. And I will almost go as far as say, based on what I'm seeing, a lot of people slower than the ZZ plant. So that that should give you <laughs> some indication there. And it's interesting because looking at this purely morphologically and just looking at how the plant is, it should be relatively straightforward. It's got relatively succulent leaves so it would store water quite well there was a large problem and again i think this is one of the cost of farms has maybe bought out recently from what i was seeing before then the ones i got i got two the first one failed and i'll talk about how it failed in a minute and the second one i've grown for nearly three years now and yeah the um, problem with a 
large batch that first came out when the when the demand first started coming out for these plants was very bad soil media from the growers and i don't usually see this but i wonder with this plant because it needs such infrequent watering it's got very succulent leaves whether or not at least in the growing condition in some of these nurseries this was one of the plants that they're just like it's a slow grower it doesn't need an awful lot of water let's give it slightly denser soil which means we might only need to water it once a month once every two months problem with this when it came to most people's households conditions which aren't ideal there was a large batch of these that rotted straight out of the the box essentially and i remember having conversations with uh some houseplant collectors when they were first getting theirs after i had my experience with mine which did that which did exactly that it rotted out because i did all the right things i left it to acclimate before stressing it any further but it, the soil just wouldn't dry and eventually it rotted out, basically. Um, and everybody that I spoke to got very, very nervous when I was just like, if you've just bought it now, take it out of the soil as soon as you bring it home and put it in a soil mix, an arid soil mix or something airy that you trust and you've used before. And uh, I can almost say 100% of the people that did that had success and almost 100% of the people that didn't do that ended up with root rot and had to buy again, basically. The species uh, is from Malaya and, and uh, places like that. You can imagine it's growing in, well, starting off life on the forest floor in leaf litter, and then it's climbing up, a, finding a, a trunk to climb up and then sort of setting off up that trunk. Uh, and you can imagine that the soil it's in is going to be pretty free-draining, but also uh, sort of rich in leaf litter. So I guess we've got to try to emulate those kind of, that kind of substrate to, to have success. I mean, I wonder, I was looking to see if I could see um, any more mature leaves of this particular plant, what the leaves look like once they've, like other skindapsis, you know, matures to a different thing. I haven't found any, so I'm, I'm not really sure whether it whether it starts to lose that, sheen that silver sheen or not that's the challenging thing i'm not surprised that there's not an awful lot out there based on how slowly it grows and unfortunately even me after having it for three years this is one of the trailing plants that i haven't grown up something so i haven't seen more mature plants i've actually let this trail which meant i get more of the immature leaves but yes i i do vaguely remember i think i saw this in a discussion board recently actually probably only a couple of days ago that somebody was saying specifically for this one that they've seen slightly more mature leaves and again a grain of salt i don't know how accurate this is and it does lose some of that sheen basically i mean that would follow i mean every mature skindapsis leaf i've ever seen you know in a photograph mm -hmm. has been way more uh, green than the immature leaf so that would perfectly make sense and i imagine that the again guesswork here but i imagine that the that's variegation blister variegation or whatever it is usually it's i think it's usually blister variegation in skindapsis um where you know you've got a, a a air pocket under the surface that's reflecting light as opposed to a, a variation in the amount of chlorophyll mm -hmm. pigment in the leaf that might be helping camouflage the leaf when it's young and vulnerable to herbivore attack but once it gets up into a tree like it doesn't need that so um, that's that's a theory i mean <laughs> it's a valid I think, theory i think 
it's interesting that it's so slow growing. I guess you could see that as a plus if you are used to growing, you know, lots of devil's ivy, uh, epibremnums, skindapsus that are romping around. You might be glad to have a slow growing plant. Definitely. Uh, the one bit of advice I could probably give to your listeners, if they really want to add this plant to their collection, get a slightly fuller pot because that will keep you happy for a bit longer. Try not to go for a single or one or two leaf cutting because I've heard horror stories of people three years later, they've still got two leaf cutting. <laughs> well, we'll move on to a very different plant now. I think this one is has got some serious rock and roll vibes. Uh, and it's a member of the Solanaceae, the same family that the tomato and potato are members of. But this is Solanum pyracanthum. It's got some wicked, I don't know if they're officially spines or thorns, what we officially call these, but those leaves, they're crazy. They're a plant that I would hope more people would get exposed to because I don't think it gets enough press, so to speak, because it is very different and unusual. There are a few people that are growing this. I'm very fortunate where I'm based in the UK. We've actually got quite a few of some of, of the, the bigger growers for tropical plants for the UK based here. And I'm quite good friends with a lot of them here. And one of those companies mentioned that they had this plant, put a picture on. I instantly fell in love because it looks very different. And again, just for your listeners, it's got a kind of almost serration on the leaves. The leaves, um, it doesn't always come out cross particularly well in a picture, but they're slightly fuzzy. There's a slight bit of pubescence on it as well. Slightly silvery, but on these very soft, velvety leaves, there are, like you said, like potentially thorns or spines that come off top of the leaf and the bottom of the leaf along the midrib. And the, le the, the spikes and the spines themselves go from a red, very deep red color to a yellow at the very tip. And, uh, and I'll show some of my, my Greek background in here, pyrocanthum or... Uh, basically would translate to fire thorns. And actually, if you look at some of these pictures and you look at the thorns, the coloration is mm. almost looks like a bit of a flame. So uh, a definitely very interesting plant. And I've owned this and I've had this in my collection for nearly three years now. And I can confirm, and this might be an interesting one for some people, this can survive the winter in a unheated greenhouse in the uk it won't be particularly happy with you but it will come back in the summer my one kind of lost about 60 70 percent of its leaves over the winter obviously really pulled back on the watering in the winter but it's now fully sprouting back up again and you can definitely see the relationship to the tomato plant because it does after the there's some i can't remember now if the yellow or white little blooms that you get on there and it does create little berries that look like tiny tomatoes definitely do not ingest those it is quite poisonous yeah <laughs> we have to remember that obviously the solanaceae incorporates many of the nightshades so yeah <laughs> take care i think this is one of the many many houseplants that's from i think it's from madagascar which so many houseplants from madagascar it's I, one that's a dream one day to go to madagascar um wouldn't that be amazing? One thing I did note that appealed to me was the fact that you can grow this from seed. Chilton Seeds have got it in stock as I speak. This sounds like a fun experiment, even if I guess you could grow it even as an annual or a, a biennial. That's the one thing I did. I had a previous plant before and I let that one die out because I was trying to see if it would survive the winter outside in the UK. It didn't. The green, unheated greenhouse is the, is the big secret there. 
the one thing I didn't do is take seeds from the berries because I know a lot of people will do that. They will use it as an annual, like you say, take the berries, take the seeds and just plant it out for the next year. And from what I have heard from people that have grown it from seed, it is particularly easy to grow from seed as well. I'm definitely going to be ordering some devil's thorn, also known as the porcupine tomato. I mean, who doesn't want to have a porcupine tomato? <laughs> now, I've got a confession about the next plant memo, Senesio bryonifolius. Now, I went to look at my Senesio brownifolius and I'm going to have to beg you for a cutting swap because I've managed to kill. This is an easy plant. And yet I've managed to kill my Senesio brownifolius. I put it in a pot and I it got, I don't know what, it was doing absolutely great guns for ages. And then I put some outside in the greenhouse and it obviously got too cold. And then the other bit got hidden behind something else. And I thought it was okay, but it's dead. So, well, I mean, I'm sure I've got something that I can uh, swap with you, but I I know that your plant is lush and lovely because I've just got a beautiful picture of it in front of me. I find that ivy, heterohelix, is rubbish for growing indoors in the UK, but there's so many lovely ivy substitutes like this plant tell me about uh, why you like this bryony leaved ivy so it's a very interesting one and uh, again this is a plant that i got as a substitute for another one that i was looking for actually which i think you may have got which is the senesio macroglossus which does have the kind of more triangular leaves i i can see how that one looks a bit like an ivy i actually like it for its leaf structure because very rarely do you see plants with triangular leaves but this one it's relatively easy to find actually i found it in a local garden center i'd seen it the year before but it came comes like a lot of plants in garden centers they come out in waves so i was fortunate last year to find it again and it's very similar to the look of an ivy plant the leaves tend to be a bit smaller obviously backsides are this deep purple almost maroon color and surprise maybe not as surprising based on your story now as well well the one thing i will say about this senesio specifically is i when i first got it i was treating it like most other senesios and really letting it dry out boy i mean that is still i think relatively correct but just to give you an indication i had it in soil i had it outdoors for last summer and it was getting water daily it was going through its entire water daily uh having bringing it in the house thinking i was going to be watering it less it gets watered every three to four days, <laughs> which for a succulent, yeah, they really are. They really are. They're thirsty plants. They really are. Um, Senesio macroglossus variegata, which I do have, and also Senesio angulatus. They're really thirsty plants. I originally sort of uh, started out with these plants being, you know, thinking, giving them cactus and succulent substrate and watering them very meanly as I normally do with those plants and it was a disaster and I think that's something a lesson I still need to kind of keep drumming into my head that they need a lot of water um the the, the angulatus I've currently got outside actually another sort of shrubby ivy like plant which is I think is invasive in quite a lot of places because uh, in Australia because it is quite so not in my garden probably because it will it would die off in the winter but they're definitely worth looking at these um these ivy-like senesios but yet yeah, you mustn't make the mistake of thinking they don't like a lot of water and in fact my macroglossus now i've got in a sort of a wick watering system just to make sure it gets enough water and it's growing great now but yeah they're thirsty they're very very thirsty and also just uh, to, to touch on what you were just talking about there they are also a lot easier 
than the heterohelix to grow indoors because with most common ivies <laughs> spider mites as i twitch <laughs> yeah there's the, the spider mites tend to love that plant more than anything else so but with this specific senecio very little pest pressures at least in my experience yeah i agree i think <laughs> if you can get the watering right i think you're, yeah. <laughs> you're absolutely fine with this plant but it's just as and what really i love about it is the backs of those leaves i've never seen a leaf back that is quite so dramatically it's almost violet. It's really bright in good light. It's amazing. And I know you've got yours displayed on a lovely sort of splayed trellis and, and it could you could use it in that way, almost like to cover a big area if you wanted to. 100%. 100%. And it can still trail as well. But yeah, the I've got it growing up. I tend to grow most of my trailers up if I can. I agree. I agree. Uh, otherwise, you know, it just, it turns into, I mean, I, I end up pulling things over because things sort of trail into your hair and get yeah, oh, pretty much. good. <laughs> now our final species is uh, going to another family, the Peb family, it, Piper sylvaticum. Now this again is a bit of an oldie in my book. I've definitely remember seeing this in vintage houseplant books from my childhood, but not really very common until recently. Yeah, no, definitely. It's it's one that has started coming into the market in the last two or three years. There's um, a more difficult one to find, which I think is Piper crocatum or cro- crocatum. Um, I'm probably mispronouncing that, but uh, the I think with that one, that one definitely needs terrarium condition from what i've seen it needs very high humidity i can't talk about it from experience but with the sylvaticum which i do own similar to you i've seen that it's been around for a while when i was looking at some more vintage kind of houseplant books but there was very little and it's really interesting to see that difference between what was in books and what is online which is the kind of place that most people will go to now to do their research for their plants there was very little written at all about the piper sylvaticum specifically there was a bit more about the crocatum one but not the sylvaticum online and i remember the response i got when i did a a youtube video on this a while back and the only reason why i did it is right this is what i'm doing with this based on what i'm seeing morphologically from the plant because i can't find any information can anybody agree with me with this and i got such good feedback from that because a lot of people were saying your video is the only thing we could find back then. I think there's probably more now, but very interesting plant. Um, The fact that it's part of the pepper family was quite an interesting thing when I found that out as well. The way that it grows, and this did worry a few people that I was talking to, it does get extra floral nectaries on the back of the leaves, but they also turn black really quickly. They kind of slightly oxidize. I don't know what is specifically in this plant's extra floral nectaries, but it looks like it could be pests. So there's a lot of people going, oh my God, it's covered in pests. And I'm just like, double check it, run your finger over it. And if it's got a slightly sugary texture, that kind of graininess, it's probably just the extra floral nectaries that are on the back of that, basically. Interestingly with this one, it can kind of display anthocyanins quite quickly as well so if you give it a lot of light usually in the summer you get this with this plant so it's got very silvery leaves but in the summer that silveriness is still there but it gets a pink blush which is the most beautiful thing ever it's so unusual you don't tend to get silvery plants blushing 
this is one that does. Um, the extra floral nectary thing. I think I guess we should just explain what that means. It's basically <laughs> it's basically a, 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 a nectar producing part of the plant that isn't on the flower. And you do get this with a surprising number of plants. There's a, a lot of Hoyas have them. And sometimes they do catch people out because they see uh, drops on the plant or marks on the plant. They don't know what they are. I, I mean, I guess for the plant's point of view, often, I think oftentimes these are drawing in pollinators and ants and things to the plant to protect them from other pests. I mean, there's a whole podcast episode in extra floral nectaries. I should do that for my botany series, but they are quite common, aren't they? And, and as I say, as you say, they can turn up in different ways and catch people out thinking that uh, they've got some kind of major problem. I don't know about you. Just a side note here. I feel like I really want to get a T-shirt printed that just says buy a hand lens Yes. Like I need to buy a hand lens <laughs> yeah. meme because yeah, like do. almost every post I see on Facebook where somebody's going, is this a pest? What is it? I'm like, buy a hand get, lens. A, get a magnifying glass, buy a hand yeah. lens, invest. Yeah. That is your best investment as a house plant lover. I just need to have that in my pocket whenever I'm doing plant care. It's so useful. Um, and so I highly recommend everyone buys one. And I imagine that probably under a hand lens, those extra floral nectaries would look quite interesting definitely and interestingly we talk about a hand lens i'd hadn't even thought about that until one of your first ever podcasts i think where you mentioned it and i instantly went and bought one and haven't looked back since oh, it's probably one good. of the best things in my collection <laughs> i was thinking the other day the one thing i want next is a hand lens that's got a built-in light mm-hmm. that's the one i've got i've got that yeah that's really, really good. Oh, that's really good. Okay. Because oftentimes I'm like, I'm holding my phone in one hand with the light on and then I've got the hand lens in the other hand because you need really good light to be able to see. Oh, well, maybe that's a Christmas present in the bag. Yeah, there they're, they're, they're really, they're really quite good. <laughs> and it's, it's the, um, on the Savaticum side of things, again, it's, it's an interesting one because there wasn't so much written about it. It's technically a trailing plant. I think it's technically a climber. And I say this after having this plant for over a year now, it doesn't vine in any way that's kind of reminiscent of anything else either. So with most Hoyas, they will wrap around something. This won't do that. Most other aroids would bring out aerial roots to attach to tree trunks and things like that. This doesn't have any significant aerial roots. But it just grows. And, and I've got it growing on <laughs> oh, my janky support sticks. All my YouTube fans love my janky support sticks. Hey, <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to go and look at that. I haven't seen it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just support sticks, but I, I don't do them in any beautiful way. I just, it's very utilitarian. So they, something so that it can the plant can attach onto and yeah, everybody needs a janky support stick in their life well yeah i've got a sh- <laughs> i've got a pot in the shed full of those those okay. uh, spare, spare just waiting to be used so uh, <laughs> i'm with you on that but yeah i found that actually just tying the stems onto whatever support you're giving it uh is enough really you can have it trailing i've actually seen when it trails the leaves don't get any smaller because sometimes with trailing plants if you let it trail the leaves will ultimately get more and more juvenile looking Mm. it's not the case however i will say this is a plant that it does start off with very very small leaves very much like anthuriums and over time they get bigger basically but very interestingly with this one and this is one that i'm really excited about that is slowly coming back on the market again at least in my experience one of my easiest plants I know the other pipers aren't necessarily, but the Savaticum, at least in my experience, 
is has been one of the easiest plants. The one thing I will say that's not mentioned enough online, it likes to not fully dry out. It doesn't like boggy soil, but it likes to not fully dry out. It doesn't particularly like going fully dry. Well, do we know where this one's from? Uh, from what I was looking at, I couldn't find a specific location. I don't think when I was looking at it, I would imagine. I've just hit Google and I'm on the Q uh, Plants of the World online and it's telling me that it's Bangladesh and East Himalaya, which I didn't know. So there you go. And I guess that makes sense in that it's kind of probably at maybe at high elevations. I'll have to do some more research into this. And so therefore it doesn't need to be overly hot yeah, it's been okay with temperatures. Even my conservatory tends to get quite cool in the winter and it doesn't it doesn't have any issue with that. It also the location doesn't surprise me because again, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that's the region of the world where most peppercorns come from as well. So it would make sense that it would grow around the same region basically. Yes, it is. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, I hope that that's given people a little hint as to which of those plants might be worth adding to their collection. Which of these would you kind of take to your desert island? I would probably go with a Solanum, actually. Okay. I think for me, it would probably have to be the Senecio, although if I end up growing the Piper, it may well take over. And let's see what's coming up next. Is there any other thing else that we haven't mentioned? Any other spe- plant species that maybe you can briefly just say, look out for this? Oh, there is one, but I cannot remember the Latin name for it currently. And this is more fond memories from my childhood, which is something I'm growing as a houseplant. It can also be grown as a bit of a bonsai, which is the mastic plant. Oh, I think I saw your video on this. It's a very interesting plant that not a lot of people know about. It grows full size. It will grow in um, certain places of the med. So it's it's also slowly dying out because there's been too many bushfires in its natural environment. And it takes a very long time to get it mature enough. It grows a bit. It looks a bit like a gnarly olive tree. There's a very thick, clear sap that comes out. It creates this resin called mastic. And for anybody out there that has had um, baklavas or anything that's very kind of syrupy, Middle Eastern-y type uh, desserts, and they can't place a flavor that's slightly floral, it's that resin, basically. But I can confirm it also makes a very forgiving houseplant that needs an awful lot of lights. I can almost see if I can find the scientific name and send it to you after this. Just, I've just actually looked it up. It's Pistachia lentiscus. Yeah, now you've got me craving baklava, which is you know, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's interesting. I'd never thought of that as a houseplant. I'm going to go away and look at that right now. Is it available at all in the in the UK or in the US, do you know? I think so, yes, because one of my viewers on YouTube did mention that they do landscaping in Vegas, of all places, and they grow this as a topiary plant outside. So I'm assuming there's some plates some bits of the US so you can probably get it. In the UK, I got it from a local plant shop. So I'm assuming it can become available. I just saw that it was a mastic plant and just went, oh my God, I'd never thought I'd own one of these. Yes, I'll take it and use it. But I'm assuming, yes, it's probably not one that you'll see very often, if that makes sense. Okay. Well, and lovely to have a nostalgic sort of memory from your childhood. That's great. It's been fun. Thank you so much for joining me, Memo. Thanks for your time. Thanks to Memo. And if you want to see pictures and more information about all of these six plants, check out the show notes at janeperone.com. That's all for this week's show.
Until next Friday, I give you permission to be confident about yourself. See you next Friday. Bye. The music you heard in this episode was Roll, Roll and Roll by The Joy Drops. The Road We Used to Travel When We Were Young by Komiku. And Whistle by Benjamin Banger. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit the show notes for details.